Welcome to the Anti Apathy Aunt podcast. I'm Deborah Doan, and I'm the Anti Apathy Aunt, the agony aunt for people who want to change the world but don't know where to start. In each episode, we tackle a social issue that someone's concerned about and speak to the people and organizations in civil society who are trying to do something about it. My message? You don't have to join a political party or chain yourself to a fence. There are many ways you can beat the apathy blues, starting here. Danny, welcome. Thanks for joining me as my producer for the Anti-Apathy Aunt. Hello. As you know, we thought we would ask people to write in with the social issue they're concerned about. And as this is our first ever episode, I did a call out to some friends and neighbors and asked them what they wanted me to tackle. And what do we got? Well, we actually got quite a few questions coming in, which we're going to do in the coming weeks. But I thought we would start with an email from my neighbor, Kate, who says, I'm really concerned by the latest reports showing that some of the world's richest people, Jeff Bezos, for example, pay almost no tax, particularly as the world looks to recover from the pandemic. This makes me feel powerless. It seems as though multi-billionaires will carry on raking in the profits but not pay their dues, while the rest of us are required to contribute via our far more meager tax payments for years to come. What do you think, Danny? Is this a good place to start? I think it's a great place to start. I, I sympathize. I don't really enjoy paying tax, but I'd like to feel that it was fair and that everyone else was doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the way the laws are written, it makes it sound like it's fair to, you know, it's certainly within the law to find ways to minimize how much tax you pay. But there is a point at which this becomes quite egregious. So ProPublica, a not-for-profit journalism organization, showed that the 25 richest people in the world only pay about 3.4% of their income in tax. Wow. So that is quite shocking. So the question is, what can we do about it? There's actually quite a lot that has been done to fight this in civil society, and it's under the heading of what we call tax justice, which is about making all companies and individuals pay their fair share of taxes. So I thought we could speak to a couple of people on this, and the first person I thought we'd talk to today would be Rosie Rogers, who, alongside quite a lot of other people, was involved in something called UK Uncut, back in 2011. And what UK Uncut did was it showed the link between businesses not paying their taxes and government cutbacks. And at the time, it was hailed by The Guardian as one of the UK's fastest growing protest movements. Are we intrigued? Yes, let's get on a Zoom call Great. with Rosie. <laughs> Hello, Rosie. Welcome to the Anti-Apathy Aunt and our first ever episode. Hiya. I know you're on maternity leave. I'm really grateful you're here with me. I think I first met you about 10 years ago at the World Development Movement. Yeah, gosh, time flies. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a bit about what was going on at the time for you and how UK Uncut came into being. Basically, at the end of 2010, there was this big moment that kind of changed my life and got me really involved in activism. George Osborne, the chancellor at the time, was making huge public sector cuts, um, you know, the biggest public sector cuts since the 1920s. At the same time, my brother got a letter saying that his um, housing and disability benefit was being massively cut. He has very severe autism and really relies on the state for his health and happiness. And then also in the same breath, I was reading that huge corporations like Vodafone, Starbucks and Topshop weren't paying their fair share of tax. 
And, you know, Vodafone, for example, had gotten away with not paying £6 billion um, tax bill. So that was kind of all happening at the same time. And I was, I was pretty angry and wanted to do something about it. So you wanted to do something about it. What did you do? So at the time, myself and a couple of friends got together and we were all in the same boat of being really, you know, angry and upset about the current state of affairs. And we wanted to do something about it. And we just kind of came up with the idea of, well, if Vodafone won't pay their tax, we'll make them pay their tax and make, you know, make sure that people know there is an alternative to the cuts. So we kind of just came up with the idea of going into a Vodafone store and telling them to pay their tax. It was pretty simple, actually. So it grew really big. I mean, what was the moment for you when you knew that you were making some headway? I mean, actually, after kind of the first action we did in Vodafone, I thought, oh, there's a lot of people here and the media seemed to care and the narrative and the message seemed to be being understood by people. And I don't know, it's just something about the simplicity of it. It's like there's huge cuts. They're not necessary. There's a simple solution. Vodafone, Starbucks, or all your mates pay a tax. And to be quite honest, the, the big moment for me, like one of them was actually a big Starbucks protest where we went to Starbucks and we turned it into a crash and we had like loads of kids and it was, there was lots of paint everywhere and it was complete chaos, but it was fun. And there was you no know, single parent families and there was lots of different people involved. And I thought, okay, this is actually also breaking out of, you know, just the middle class bubble and it's making sense to people. I think another big moment was when we um, we did a protest in Oxford Street with disabled people against the cuts with Deepak. Um, and, you know, we had like, I think it's about 20 people with multiple disabilities locking on like with chains and kind of big locks um, and blockading the road. And I thought, this is something special. This isn't just your ordinary protest movement. This is people affected by the issues standing up you know, for what they believe in and for survival. And it was really powerful, but it was also really fun. And I think the kind of mixture of the power, the simple message and the fun just created something really special, basically. Now, I mean, that, the, the last point I think is really interesting because, you know, not everyone is kind of prepared to go to those lengths. You guys, from what I recall, were prepared to get arrested. And I also recall that you spent a pretty harrowing night in jail. Um, what if someone isn't prepared to be arrested? I know personally, I'm quite risk averse when it comes to direct action. Being arrested is not fun. <laughs> it's it's not something I recommend uh, personally. When, when I got arrested, I wasn't planning to. I mean, I have a five-month-year-old daughter now, so I think I'll be thinking a bit differently about things. But at the time... Um, I was very happy to get arrested for what I believed in. But I think there's lots of different ways to get involved in activism, right? And at the time with UK Uncut, social media was just becoming a thing, like Facebook and Twitter were just kicking off. You could tweet and you could do posts. You could come down to UK Uncut Action, hand out flyers. You know, you could be an on-site photographer doing an action. You could also sit down inside shops and, you know, and protest with your body. So there's lots of different ways to get involved. I do remember at the time you were um, pretty shaken up by it all. And it's great. It's great to hear that there are other ways that people can support a movement. I mean, you guys had some accountants involved, didn't you? Helping you crunch numbers and do some things behind the scenes as well. Oh, yeah. We had so many people involved from all walks of life. We had a lot of lawyers who helped us sue the government over their dodgy deal with Vodafone. We had, um, for, you know, professional photographers come and take pictures for us. We had people helping out with social media. We had accountants 
telling us what tax avoidance actually is so that we really knew our stuff. Um, we had like people donating money, donating time, making banners. Like it took so many different people from all walks of life to, to make it a success and, and to kind of uh, break through. So yeah, we definitely um, needed all hands on deck. And I think that's, that's the great thing about any protest is you, you need lots of people with lots of different skills to, to kind of make it the best it can be. I mean, to me, it really launched the public minds thinking about tax justice. And I know when I started seeing Canada uncut and US uncut, it had really captured the public's imagination. I mean, what for you were some of the public reactions? What were they like? Generally, they were really positive. I think, you know, obviously it's an inconvenience if people go to a Vodafone store and we're sitting inside and we've shut it down or people want to get their Starbucks spice pumpkin latte and we're there with like 50 kids running chaos. There was a level of inconvenience, but we were never violent. We were, you know, gave out letters to staff. We went to shops. One action, we actually blocked Westminster Bridge but we um, had a direct line with the police so that if an ambulance needed to come through to get to St. Thomas's Hospital, we would let them through. I don't remember any anyone being upset with what we were doing once we explained it. People got the message, you know, austerity was being felt by a lot of people. There was, you know, a huge rise in food banks, homelessness and suicide, sadly. So I think people got what we were doing and we got a lot of um, positive support. And yeah, I felt like it hit a nerve. People wanted to do something more than perhaps just going on a march once a year. And I think it just came at the right time. What is it that engages people who aren't used to being involved in protest and activism? That's a great question. Something I I think about quite a lot. I think I'd say the three, three magic things that I think help people get involved is one, is your message simple? Like if you can't explain it to someone kind of rushing past on the side of the street, then you failed. Like you have to have a really simple message. I think two is, is it fun? Is it something that you want to be doing? Because if you yourself don't want to be there, then other people aren't going to want to be there. And number three, is it is it a place you feel safe and welcomed in? Is it somewhere that you feel you could take your kids if you have them or your brother and sister? And whether it's your organizing, you know, to save a local library or doing a protest on the streets or even doing something online, I think yeah, feeling safe and feeling like you're doing it in a supported way is really important. What do you think is the key thing about change that you learn from being active in UK Uncut? I think a really key aspect of like big change in society is you need so many different tools in the toolbox. You know, you need people in every sphere of life kind of saying a similar message. So if you look at things from like legalizing gay marriage or the women's right to vote or the civil rights you need everyone playing their part and you can cut was one kind of card in a deck of cards because you had NGOs doing amazing work for years you had um, some politicians doing stuff you had um, like yeah accountants and people in newspapers saying things and once all of these different voices started to coalesce and say a, you know, sing from the same hymn sheet, then things started to move. So it wasn't just UK and Cut that, that broke through on tax avoidance. We were one player. And I think with any social movement, you need lots of different players playing their parts to help break through. If you were to give one message to Kate, 
who wrote to us about this issue, about what she can do about the issue of the rich not paying their taxes, what would it be? So I guess what I'd say to Kate is like, have a really good think about where is your power? Because we all have power, whether it's conversations with friends and family, whether it's you might know someone who works really high up in an important company. It might be that you're really good at social media and you can help um, a local um, organization or community action group who are trying to get their local stores to pay their tax. It might be, you know, writing to MP, etc. There's like, there's lots of things you can do, but I do really believe that everyone has a lot of agency and power that we forget we have. Not everyone has to go out and get arrested to make a difference. It might be that actually someone in your family might know someone in the government and one conversation with that person could change their mind and change policy. Like that does happen. So I think it's it's having a good think about what's your in your network, what power do you have and just going for it. Thank you so much, Rosie. That's been incredibly inspiring. Um, hopefully it will inspire Kate as well. Uh, thank you for your time and you get back to your baby. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Lovely chatting. The second person I thought we could speak to is Robert Palmer. Now, Robert comes from the more formal, organized side of civil society and heads up a group called Tax Justice UK. Now, Tax Justice UK emerged out of this wider thing called the Tax Justice Network, which itself was established about 20 years ago. Welcome, Robert. Great to have you with us today. Great to be with you. So I remember a situation about 20 years ago. I was sitting in Borough Market having a coffee with Richard Murphy, who was one of the founders of the whole tax justice movement, the tax justice network. And he's an accountant. And he started telling me some of I, some some of his ideas. And it felt really important, but it was also really technical and nerdy. And I have to confess, it made me want to crawl under the table. So I guess the, the, the first question I want to ask you is, um, how did you get interested in tax justice? How did you get into this? Yeah, it's a great question. Sometimes I want to crawl under a table as well. And I'm sure we all do. So I graduated in 2008 during the financial crisis and the world felt as though it was melting around us. And I started working for an organization called Global Witness. Um, and I was looking at how corrupt officials from around the world were moving their dirty money through the banking system and using the banking system to buy shiny cars or houses in Mayfair or stash their money in very well-known British banks. And it was really obvious to me at the time the role the UK banks played in helping corrupt officials move their money was very similar and very connected to the way in which the same banks were allowing people to dodge their taxes. As you said in your introduction, tax is incredibly complicated and dry. And I sometimes tell people what I do, you know, I work on tax and you can just see that eyes glaze over. But I think for me, tax really is at the heart of what it means to live in a democratic society. Tax is absolutely at the heart of our link between, as citizens, our link between us and government. And it's my view that a fair attack system is a step, a necessary step towards the sort of fairer society I want to see. That's a very impassioned plea. I love it. 
So Robert, was there a particular example of a tax injustice that got you really incensed back in 2008 at the time of the financial crisis? The one that really comes to mind is Starbucks, the big US coffee giant. Um, and they were earning, you know, I think billions of pounds in the UK over many years and paying little or no corporation tax. And it just felt, you know, there was this huge, big corporate behemoth that was squishing independent cafes. And yet at the same time, they were paying next to no tax. And then what Starbucks did almost as a PR move was offered to voluntarily pay 20 million pounds to the tax authorities in the UK. And it just felt almost insulting. It's like tax shouldn't be a voluntary thing that, that companies pay as sort of part of a PR move. Tax should be something that is properly implemented and collected and enforced by the authorities. How did it move forward to drive this awareness about kind of what we have now, which is a strong movement and, you know, outcome wise, a potential global deal on corporate tax, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So I think it's a really good case study of successful activism that brought together journalists, uh, more academic uh, policy thinkers who really knew the detail, and then also activists on the street. And so what you had around 2007, 2008, people within the tax justice network had started to persuade journalists that tax dodging by big companies was an issue, was a problem. And tax dodging by these big companies was meaning that governments around the world, including in the UK, were missing out on revenues that they needed to pay for public services. So the kind of wonky thinking experts persuaded the journalists. And then at the same time, we had the financial crisis. And the financial crisis was followed in this country in the UK by austerity. And there was real public anger that there were these huge cuts to public services, while at the same time, big companies, rich individuals, were seen as being able to dodge their obligations. And so that manifested itself in this group called UK Uncut, which was a bunch of relatively young activists who, in a very playful, fun way, started to point out that big companies were avoiding paying their fair share. And actually, if you got some of these big companies to pay more tax, pay the tax that they owed, you perhaps wouldn't need to have the level of austerity that was being implemented. And so that work by UK Uncut, that really helped capture the public imagination. At the same time, politically, the government was saying, we need to make all these cuts and we have no option. And the activists were saying, wait a minute, you do have options. We can make sure that people are paying their fair share. It's a really good example of you know, how change happens, which is you have a bit of luck, you have some interesting uh, external circumstances that provide an opportunity. And then you have coalitions of perhaps unlikely characters coming together to make change happen. I love how you've used this example because I know that I often use this case to show how the kind of informal movement and people who get involved in that from the general public connects with the more formal side of civil society, which is, organizations like Tax Justice UK. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you kind of agree with my own hypothesis about this. So it's been 10 years since UK Uncut 
got going, set up in Vodafone, I think was their first action. Has there been progress in the last 10 years? What are some of the great milestones of this tax justice movement? I think the first milestone is getting politicians to realise they have to care about this issue. You know, in the in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I think there was this sense from politicians that, oh, it's okay if big companies do a bit of tax dodging because they'll bring jobs or they'll bring investment. And maybe the politicians, or at least some of them still think that, but that is not what they can say. There's more uh, transparency, more information is, is, is out there in the public domain on companies and individuals which can help stop tax dodging. Um, tax authorities have more tools and more resources than they had before. And so you can just start to see the public campaigning turning into political rhetoric, turning into regulation change, and then also turning into behavior change. So a lot of the, the kind of like key calls, the key demands have either happened or are fairly far along the process of happening. We now, this summer in Cornwall, in spite of COVID, uh, we had the G7 together and we now have a, a new deal on tax uh, of a sort. What's the upside? Is, is this deal progress? So there is this deal, as you said, that was agreed uh, at the G7 and has since then been agreed by over 130 countries. And the most important part of this deal is an agreement to have an effective global minimum tax rate of at least 15%. And so under the deal, that means any company is going to have to pay at least 15% in tax wherever they do their business. And that is a really big step forward, you know, that you've got this global agreement between 100, over 130 countries saying, we are gonna put a floor beneath which companies will not be able to go when it comes to paying their taxes. So it's progress on corporate tax. What does it mean for the super rich? You know, the, the super rich who want to buy rocket ships and go to the moon. I'll give you the upside. I'll give you the positive when it comes to the super rich. Uh, so first of all, the super rich are mostly rich because they own companies. And so cracking down on corporate tax avoidance does help a bit with the super rich. Um, you also have one of the policies that have been introduced that and championed by the tax justice movement is the exchange of information between countries or where people have their assets. And so now it's much harder to illicitly stash your money offshore and just lie to the tax authorities and then never, never find it. So that sort of really dirty stuff is harder. That's the good stuff. <laughs> the bad stuff is we have a tax system which is set up that if you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of wealth, you pay very low levels of tax entirely legally entirely in the way that the tax system is set up. And so the tax system still is a really, really good deal for some of the richest people in the world. And we need to change that. So if you were to give one message to Kate, who wrote to us about this issue, so that she doesn't feel powerless, so that she doesn't feel despondent, what can she be doing? People power can change things. And I think tax justice movement is a really, really good example of that. So have hope, have some optimism. Um, secondly, you know, companies have changed their behavior partly in response to consumer pressure. Um, there's a great organization called the Fair Tax Foundation that issues something called the Fair Tax Mark to companies that pay their taxes and have proper tax 
uh, tax behavior. So it's definitely worth supporting companies that are uh, signed up to the Fair Tax Foundation and the Fair Tax Mark. Um, we also, if you want, I do a, a weekly email. You can sign up at Tax Justice UK. Um, and one of the things that we want to do is help support people in our network, our supporters, to take concrete action. For example, that there's some stuff that can you can do with local councils to try and persuade local councils to think about corporate tax behaviour when they're buying services and goods. So I think there's you know lots of different ways in which people can get involved. Um, the challenges are it is technical, it is complicated, um, and a lot of these decisions are made by a very small number of people in the treasury in Whitehall. Um, but people power can change things. Now, have we succeeded? Absolutely not. There's definitely more to do. But for me, at least, it feels as though we're going in the right direction. And that is partly because of the role of you know, non-professional people, non-NGOers, quote unquote, ordinary people who have stood up and said, it is deeply, deeply unfair that I pay my taxes. And yet some really rich people and big companies don't. That's terrific, Robert. That gives a lot of food for thought uh, to me. I hope to Kate. I hope to Danny as well. We've played these interviews back to Kate, and I'm pleased to say that Kate is now in my kitchen. Hello, Kate. Hello, Deborah. You've listened to the interviews. What was your initial reaction listening to Rosie and Robert talk about how they've approached the issue of tax justice? What I felt hugely encouraged by is like when you, when, you, when one talks about tax justice and tax avoidance, it feels like such a big issue, but also one that is so removed from, you know, me as a self-employed person, paying my tax, you know, doing all the things that a good citizen should. So what I felt encouraged by was there are movements out there that do make a difference and that whilst progress is probably slower than an awful lot of us would like, you can get involved, you can join in, and there are already organisations there to support you in doing that. And were there any take-homes? Were there any things that you thought you could be doing about tax? I think for me, Rosie was very encouraging because it, she felt she sort of, what, what I took from, from her was that even small things make a difference. I stopped using Amazon earlier this year. I made my last order on the 9th of March. I think I'm actually going to start posting maybe on social media, like X number of days, Amazon free. That's brilliant. I um, love it. And, you know, and actually, once I started doing it, it was much easier than I thought. So that was one of the points I took out of it. And then Robert talked about the fair tax mark. And I hadn't heard of that. And that is something I shall definitely be going to investigate. And also, I think, try and spread the word. Social media, it can be, you can use it um, for good. I'm a PR person and, you know, communications is, is sort of my business. So it is about consistently, you know, making sure your message is consistent and keep saying it and not giving up, not feeling overwhelmed by what, what can seem a huge problem. Just remembering that there are things to do. Um, and that the small the small things do make a difference. What's great about the things that you've honed in on from those interviews is about saying, these are the skills I have, these are the things I can do, and these are the people I know within my sphere of influence, you know, my friends, my neighbors, I can encourage them to do the same. And that's that's how you build a movement, actually. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for coming to my kitchen on a Saturday morning. My pleasure, um, Deborah, to be in your kitchen. And in my inaugural episode of the Anti-Apathy Aunt. So, Danny, what did you think? 
Kate was clearly inspired to try out a couple of things. I was quite inspired as well. I'm impressed by Robert's view that the work that they are doing is actually moving the whole agenda forward and that companies are really thinking about the image they present in regards paying tax. So that does suggest that it's making a difference. I think one of the reasons issues don't change very much or it seems to go on forever is we get bored, right? You get a protest movement, they do one thing, and they get bored and they move on to something else. And I think what this case really shows us is that you have to sustain that engagement and that pressure, and it does make an impact, but it can take a lot of time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have an issue that you want to change or need some inspiration, get in touch via email or Twitter or go to antiapathyaunt.com where you'll find links to the organizations and people mentioned today. I hope this episode has encouraged you to get involved or do more. You can subscribe to future episodes wherever you get your podcasts from. In the next episode, we'll be exploring how to tackle the subject of youth violence. This has been an Anti-Apathy Aunt production. Have a good day.